This audio production is presented by Good Shepherd Presbyterian Church in Ocala, Florida. For more resources, visit us online at gspcocala.com. This morning's sermon passage is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 7 through 14. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. May his word give us life. Thank you, Nikki. And would you all please uh, bow your heads and pray with me uh, as we turn to these uh, words from God for us today. Father, have mercy on us uh, that we uh, would turn from our sin and turn to you. Uh, Father, open up our ears to hear you speak uh, and to be transformed by the power of your word, your word which brings life, your word which makes us new. Uh, God, come now. Tear down the defenses that we have set up. Soften our hearts. And let us hear of your hope and your promise and your goodness. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, We started our service uh, with an invitation to the weary, uh, the broken, the burdened, the weak, uh, the heavy laden, uh, and uh, all those other uh, things that we don't like to describe ourselves as, right? Did you find yourself anywhere in that list? Did you? All right, just, this might be a more interactive uh, Sunday morning, we'll find out. Uh, Are you needy? Are you bruised and broken? Do you like to be called poor and wretched? Weak and wounded, sick. Some of us sore, we know, because of old age, right? But sore from the pains of not only other people's sin, but our sin. Our inadequacies, our brokenness. It's one thing uh, to hear that call and think, ah, I love that I'm in a room where broken people feel welcome. They should. I'm glad those people can feel at home around me. That's what I want. 
It's a completely different thing to have your mess be the thing that other people are carrying. It's a completely different thing to know that when you walk in the room, you are the least of these. I heard this week somebody uh, said that uh, Americans uh, score higher than anybody else at overestimating themselves. That we, by nature, assume we're above average. Which, I mean, just if you take this room, half of you are below average. <laughs> you think about it, and then you laugh about it, and then you realize, oh, no, it really is true. I am. Start measuring up and trying to figure out who's behind you. We don't like our mess, right? We, we, don't, we don't like the things that show that we are insufficient, inadequate, that we have failed, that we've hurt others, that after all this time, we still don't have it together. The question that I want to uh, make you wrestle with this morning is the, the simple question of do you think that God wants you in heaven? Not, not, not do you think that God wants to save you and get to heaven because he likes to have people there, but do you think God wants you there? Not as another person in line, not as a sinner that he gets to say he's saved, but do you actually think he likes you? Do you think at any point in eternity, if you make it into heaven, that God will want to spend time with you? Or do you think that maybe you just kind of get in there? Better yet, are you so confused as to think, yeah, of course he does. I'm that good. I've earned it. No, do you think he wants you there at your worst? Do you think he actually takes pleasure in you? Do you believe that he longs to be good to you? We are at the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you have a Bible with red letters, you're looking and saying, there's a lot more to come. What, what we are in today is, is his summary. It's that moment when you think the preacher is done and he's got a closing illustration. That's where you are. He's done. He sums it up right here. And what you're going to see next week, right, Josh? Josh is preaching next week and I'm going to front load his sermon. We talked about this earlier. If I say it now, he has to say it next week. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Former preacher, amening that. Uh, what Jesus closes with is three illustrations that say that there are two ways. You've got to make a choice. It's not uh, options A, B, C, and D. It's to the left or to the right. Choose. But as he's getting to that decision that he's going to invite us in, he, he closes here. He brings it all together. Again, to remind you, the Sermon on the Mount 
is Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 4, we saw him uh, going about and and proclaiming the coming of the kingdom. And and as he is surrounded by the poor and the broken and the sick and the demon-filled and the needy, he begins to proclaim what he calls the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. It is the news announcement that his kingdom is here and that is good. It is good for the poor. It is good for the needy. It is for the good for the broken. It is good for the hurt. It is good for those who wound others. It is good for those who think they have it all together and are crippled by the realization that they don't. He begins to proclaim this, not not to tell us how we do it, but to state that it's here, that his kingdom is taking over. And as he made that proclamation, he he opened with the proclamation of, of what the blessed life looked like. You ever get behind somebody uh, with one of the bumper stickers of, you know, too blessed to be stressed or just it says blessed on it and you look in there and think, oh, wonder what's going on in there that I need to get. Jesus here says, this is what I look at and say blessed. To be hungry and thirsty. To be weak, to be meek. To be poor, to be merciful, which, right, merciful sounds so good, right? Until you realize to be merciful means to be hurt. To be merciful means someone has done wrong to you and you don't bring vengeance back to them. Mercy means you're hurt. It means you're wounded. To be pure, to be one who brings peace to be one who is persecuted, right? The, the purpose of those Beatitudes was not to say, hey, what you need to do is you need to go find ways that you can be more meek. You need to find ways that you can be hunger, hungry for righteousness. You need to find ways that you can mourn because then you're in the pathway of blessing. No, he's saying that is who you are. You are insufficient. You are hurt. You are in need of mercy and grace. And that, he says, is where my blessing falls. That is where my kingdom is coming. Again, if you don't think you need that, go find the kingdom somewhere else. He says that is the blessed life. And to that blessing, he brings a promise, a promise of fulfillment to be satisfied, a promise of belonging to be called the sons of God, adoption, to go from needy to satisfied, to go from mourning to comforted, to go from hungry to filled, to be called the sons of God, to be able to see the face of God, to receive mercy and reward. Jesus says, that is my kingdom. Right? Again, he is proclaiming. He said, it is here. And in my kingdom, in my realm, 
Where you are in your weakest, in your most broken, in your most needy, I am coming and I'm going to turn that on its head. Not because you get better, not because you're going to join in on this, but because I am going to bring comfort to your worst. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Do you need that? Some of us don't. Some of us, quite honestly, are pretty satisfied where we are. We're pretty good. Every now and again, need a little pick-me-up. Need to be reminded that things are going to be okay. But other than that, I'm pretty good. Jesus' invitation of this is to see yourself clearly. That you are far short of good. My kids are annoyed by it by now, but anytime somebody in our house says, I'm good. I immediately say, no one's good. No, not one. Our throats are like empty graves. Yay. They call me Barnabas. I'm really encouraging all the time. To know your need. To know your insufficiency is where Jesus says, that is where my kingdom is coming to bring life, to bring overflow. Not not because one day you'll finally get better and not have to worry about, but but actually all of eternity is a celebration of God's, the, the riches of his grace. That's what Ephesians 2 says. That in heaven, not just on earth, but in heaven, when you are so glorified that we would worship you if we saw you, then you will be celebrating his grace to you, eternally receiving the riches of his grace. That was the proclamation that Jesus brought in the beginning of this sermon. And then he, he essentially lays down the map of his kingdom. Right? He pulls it out and says, this is what my kingdom looks like. Let me show you the pathways of my kingdom. Let me show you what it looks like to live and move in my kingdom. Let me show you this blessed life. Right? You're buying in. I want that. I'm needy. I want that. And he says, great. All you need is for your righteousness to exceed that of the most righteous people you've ever heard of. And you feel like you're sitting in on one of those uh, timeshare sales pitches, right? Wait a minute. I'm just here for the free Disney tickets. Like, wow. You look at this kingdom and you say, oh no, I want that. A place where there's no murder, where there's no lust, where there's no adultery. There's no divorce, where there's no lies, where there's no violence. Don't you want that? If that presidential candidate steps up, I'm voting for them. He says, this is what my kingdom looks like. It's a place where not only do people not act evil, but their hearts actually overflow with love for one another. They do good to one another. That is life in my kingdom. In my kingdom, no one looks at one another and in their heart critically judges the other. 
Like, Dad, that's what I want. That's what we're made for. That's what I long for. And at the same time, you look at that map and you look at that picture of God's kingdom and you say, that is so good and it's such a shame that I'm never getting in there. Because external actions alone, I'm not making it in there. Much less if you want to get internal and look at my heart. No. Not even for a moment do I hit the mark. So as good as it is, I guess it's for other people. Because my heart's never going to be free from anxiety and worry. And the idea that I'm not going to have some judgmental thought about somebody else is just ridiculous. And so as Jesus has proclaimed his kingdom and shown us the way, many of us find ourselves just despairing. The insufficiency of who you are overwhelms. And there's some people, very intelligent, very God-loving people, that look at the Sermon on the Mount and believe the whole purpose of it is just to get you there. The purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to make sure you understand the bar is so high that you will never attain. And then, just a few chapters later, you get to see Jesus die in your place and you're like, oh, finally it makes sense. The only problem with that idea is Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say all this call to a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. I was just kidding. What we said when we were kids, psych. That's not what he's doing. He's not saying, I'm raising the bar, but don't worry, I'm going to take it away. And we won't worry about that anymore. Instead, right here at the very end, he says, that is how the law and the prophets are fulfilled. And you're like, dang it. I thought this was free from that stuff. No, what he is doing is he saying, no, this is what my kingdom looks like. My kingdom is a place where your heart overflows with love. My kingdom, as it comes in, is conquering the world and taking away all fear and all sadness. It is bringing comfort to those who mourn. It is bringing a righteousness that exceeds anything you can imagine. That is what my kingdom come will be. When we get to glory, that's what it will be like. And on this side of glory, that is where we're moving. And so the invitation is not to act like Jesus doesn't care about this. It is also, it's also to actually trust in his heart. To see that you can't get there on your own. So he comes to verses that are familiar to us, verses that often we use just slightly out of context. He says to ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. Most of us think of these words as, uh, as how we should pray. An invitation to pray and to 
To be clear, yes, they are partially about prayer. Luke, as he uses these verses, puts them right in connection with the, with the Lord's prayer. And at the same time, Matthew has this gap. He's already told us how to pray. So there's got to be more than just how to pray that you should ask, that you should seek, that you should knock, and then you'll get what you need. So much greater than that, the context of this is persistently pursuing the kingdom. What Jesus is talking about is, is not just asking for stuff, and he's not talking about just getting into the kingdom, but he's talking about the full entrance and way of life of the kingdom. That it is a place where we ask, a place where we seek, a place where we knock. This is one of the first Bible verses I remember somebody unpacking for me. Where he said, no, he's not just saying ask one time, seek one time, knock one time. But it is a fullness. It is uh, an ongoing ask, 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 seek, seek, seek. Knock, knock, knock. To invite us to never stop. And it would be easy to think what God means by that is you've heard of the kingdom. You've seen the bar. Now, if you want to get in, bang on my door until I let you in. Show me you really want it. Knock, knock, knock. And eventually, I, I, if you keep going, I'll let you in. If you're persistent enough, have the stick to right? Then I'll let you in. When you look at what he says, though, the heart of this is not a technique for prayer. It's not a technique for how to get things. It's not even a technique for how to talk to God. What he is getting at much more than how to ask or how to seek or how to find or anything like that is who you're talking to. What does he say? He says, if you ask, you're going to receive. If you seek, you're going to find. If you knock, it will be opened. Why? And he says, no, let's talk about dads for a second. Why will the door be open? Not because of your persistence. It says, which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Right? Some of us uh, have a bit of a sarcastic realm in us. The idea is, Dad, I want some bread. Well, this looks like bread. It's kind of round and brown. Go to it. So if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. It's got scales. Come on. The... The idea is, of course, you wouldn't do that. He says, you who are evil. And some of us are like, oh, he's talking to other people. Nope. He's saying, no, no, no. You who live in another kingdom, who do not live according to this kingdom that I am bringing, you whose hearts have been twisted by sin, who have been parented by sinners, you whose hearts are far off and so far from the heart of your heavenly Father that the only term for you is evil. If you 
can give your children something good. Now notice, this is not if you give your kids a trip to Disney every year, or you make sure they have the best family vacations, or if you have the greatest talks at night when things are sad, all he's talking about is giving them bread when they're hungry, right? The, uh, the bar's pretty low. He says, you know how to do that. And the idea is he's bringing a comparison. My grandfather was a, a Methodist minister Um, He was uh, the son of an alcoholic man uh, and left home really early, met Jesus and traveled around with a pastor uh, and then became one himself. Um, So some of the stories of how he parented are always entertaining uh, and not quite what I would aim for. And at the same time, because I'm his descendant, I think they're hilarious. When my dad and his brother were little boys, they wanted a dog. And so they asked over and over again, if their dad would bring him a dog. One day it was raining, and as my grandfather came home from work, he had his overcoat, and you could tell as he came in there was something underneath his overcoat. And he's all huddled up, and he's got this thing, and from the inside of the house, my my dad and his brother hear these, My grandfather walks in, and there's this wriggling under the coat, and you hear these sounds. Boys, I brought you something. And they're like, he opens up his jacket, and he has a concrete statue of a bulldog. (laughs) If you come to my house, you'll see a concrete bulldog outside. It's not the same one, but it's there on purpose. It's the best dog I've ever had. That doesn't sound like goodness, does it? Now, eventually they got dogs, but... Do you know uh, Ted DiBiasity, the professional wrestler? At least one of you do. He's now a pastor. Um, but he was a professional wrestler back in the 80s, and he did something that, that scarred slash taught me a lot when I was a kid. One of the, uh, one of the uh, Saturday morning wrestling shows was on, and uh, you know, they have the fights, and then they have the character development, and he was the million-dollar man. And so he was so rich that, uh, that, that he was richer than everybody else in the whole stadium, and so he said, you know what, I'm going to give away some of my money today, and I'm going to pick somebody out of the crowd, and if you can bounce this basketball 10 times, I'm going to give you $100 for every bounce you make. So he gets this little boy, probably like a five, eight-year-old little boy, brings him up there. The ball's, you know, huge for this little kid. And they're like, all right, buddy, if you could bounce this thing 10 times, I'm going to give you $100 for every bounce. Little boy's eyes are huge, and he's like, oh, I got this. You can see the confidence oozing out of him. He gets that ball, and he bounces it, and he bounces it, and he bounces it. And the million-dollar man walks over and just goes, he goes, oh, I'm sorry, buddy. I didn't mean for that to happen. Let's go get that ball back over here. That was a mistake. You can do this, buddy. You can do this. You see the little kid like, oh, okay. And gets the ball again. He's, okay. He starts bouncing and bouncing it. Five, six. Oh, man. Why don't you try again? You're just like, oh, my goodness. How evil can you be? be. Some of you think God does that. 
you hear the comparison and you think, yeah, if an earthly father would give bread when a kid's hungry, of course. But I feel like you're kicking the ball on me every time. You say you're good. And I've seen fathers that are terrible do good things, and yet sometimes it feels like feels like your definition of goodness doesn't match up. What Jesus is inviting us to see. He says, my kingdom is coming. And the bar to get in is so high that all you have to do is ask. Because your father is so good that he wants to give you good things. He wants to pour out his goodness on you. Most of us think the story starts when we breathe our first breath. And we start keeping track then and start thinking, you know, it was pretty good as a kid. And then, you know, it seemed like God kind of pulled the rug out from under me. And I don't know why, but for some reason, it feels like God's always kicking the ball away from me. And, and life's just not the way it's supposed to. And I don't know why. And we forget that the story didn't begin with our first breath, but it began long before that when God, out of the overflow of his goodness and love, made us. Jonathan Edwards says the, the purpose of the creation of man, when you read the whole story of the Bible, seems to be quite simply so that God would have a vessel that he could pour out his goodness and love upon And so he made us and he set us in a garden where we had everything we would ever need. And we rebelled. Starting with our father, Adam. We rebelled and we rejected. And he still poured out his goodness. Some of us are doing uh, new Bible reading plans for the year and you've been spending a lot of time in Genesis lately. Right? Right? My goodness, we're terrible. Noah, the man who was righteous when no one else was, and when everybody else was gone, was drunker than anybody else there. Abraham. Right? If you treat your wife like Abraham treated his wife, we got problems. That's called church discipline, okay? <laughs> Jacob. Oh, Jacob. There's a beautiful place in Genesis 32 where Jacob, after he has lied and cheated, run away, lied and cheated, mistreated his wives, lied and cheated, and is now running away back home and is about to die when he sees his brother, looks at God and says, God, you've been more faithful and good to me than I deserve. Jacob realizes God's goodness has been poured out on me constantly. You can keep going. There's that chapter 38 in Genesis where Judah and Tamar, and you're like, whoa. Yeah, that's the line of Jesus. Right? It is those of us who are the most broken, the most weak, the most needy, that God says, I want to pour my goodness on you. 
ask. Ask. Yes, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. You must have no evil in your heart. And if you want that, ask. Because your Father who is good loves to give that goodness to you. So he summarizes it here, right? His way of ending is something that we read and we're like, oh, golden rule, cool, I know that, do unto others, all that, all right, the end. Do you hear what he's saying? Right, it's the summary. He started with the law and the prophets are not getting wiped away, but instead they're going to be fulfilled. And now here at the end, he says, you see, the bar is so high that to attain it, All you need to do is ask. So, you can treat others how you would want to be treated. You don't need a rule. You don't need me to walk through each and every instance and say, this is what you do. Instead, when you have a father who gives you goodness like that, you can give it away freely. Most of us, operate as though we live in a world of scarcity. We think there's not enough goodness. We think God's grace is going to run out. We treat God like we live in the story of the boy who cried wolf and that eventually he's going to get tired of answering our calls. What he says is, no, 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 no. I love to give you the goodness that you don't have. Do you see that, God? He is the one who's saying, my kingdom has come. Come in. Join in. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, open up our eyes and our hearts to see you clearly. That we would see your goodness. That our hard hearts would be softened. And that we would know that you long to hear us ask so that you can give us good things. In Christ's name, amen.